Well, good morning, ZPC. And finally, we have made it to Easter. After four weeks of hearing about the Last Supper, and then a couple weeks ago, Gethsemane, and then last week, of course, the crucifixion, uh, as we follow the Jesus Storybook Bible, and then finally we arrive at the joyful morning of Easter Sunday, and it is good to be here with you on this Easter Sunday, and the sun has come out, the sun is shining, and uh, that always gets us uh, in the right spirits, and I, for one, am incredibly thankful, uh, though, that we don't have a sunrise service that's outside this morning, because it was pretty brisk still, amen? But hopefully now, after listening to the music and after participating in worship, you are awake and awaken to the realities of Jesus' life and his new life and our new life in him. And this morning we're going to be looking, there's different gospels that kind of bring out different details of this particular story. And, and um, the Jesus Storybook Bible kind of compiles those. But today we're going to be looking at, gospel, at the gospel of John and how John renders that Easter Sunday morning. And so I would uh, encourage you to uh, hear these words from John. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. And Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And he bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. And the other disciples who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. 
Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Resurrected Christ, we come to you this morning out of joy. We come to you this morning from many different places. We pray, God, that you would, in these words and by your Spirit, speak to us. That we might know that the Savior who was raised from the dead 2,000 years ago is the Savior who continues to reign in our lives and in our world today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So, my guess is that, uh, that most of you, or at least many of you, probably have different memories um, from Easter when you were growing up. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's going Easter egg hunting or, or going and getting a picture taken with the Easter bunny. Or maybe it's coming to a, a worship service like this or, or smelling Easter lilies. Or perhaps it's uh, uh, going out to eat uh, afterwards for a big brunch. Or, uh, or maybe it's a, it's a nice dress or a suit that you got when you were a kid. Uh, whatever it is, most of us have memories from Easter and what that was like when we were younger. And uh, I've got some memories, of course, my own. I, I told uh, those of you who were here last year uh, at Easter, um, you know, about my cool, sweet green suit that I got when I was a kid, right? And I continue to wonder if there's got to be a, a nice adult version of that. And if there is, next year, come again. I might be, I might be donning that. But, but one of the, we never really went out to eat very much when I was a kid. And, and not even on Easter, we didn't go out to eat usually. We'd always just kind of go home and we'd have a pot roast or something or pork or whatever. But, but I do remember one particular Easter Sunday when we actually uh, went out to eat at a fancy restaurant. And by fancy restaurant, I just mean it wasn't a McDonald's or a Wendy's, which was very fancy for the Deck household. And so uh, I, I remember going, and there was a kind of a large kind of uh, area there with lots of tables, and there was a little brunch line. And, but what I remember from that particular Easter Sunday was not the food at all. What I, what I remember is the Easter bunny. Now, I realize that we may have young kids here, so I will be as stealthy as possible. So you're going to have to make a leap here if you're an adult. And so I was about five years old. I was four or five, and I saw the Easter Bunny. And so when I saw the Easter Bunny, I saw the Easter Bunny. And I was so excited. There was nothing I could do. I, I just, I, I kept looking over. I saw him over at other tables, and I wanted to go and see the Easter Bunny for myself. So I, I finally just kind of leapt out of my chair, and I ran over. And that's when I saw something on the Easter Bunny that changed my life forever. A zipper. And from that one zipper, everything in my life changed. If you catch my drift, all of a sudden, everything began to make more sense than it used to. It's kind of a tragic Easter story, quite frankly. So as I was thinking about that story this week, part of the reason why I was thinking about it is because, of course, when Easter comes, we do think about Easter bunnies and We've got kids now, and our oldest is five, and, and, and so we, 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 Megan and I, my wife and I, we are always kind of wrestling. How much do you talk about the Easter Bunny? I mean, we, we don't want to be too distracted from the, from the message of Easter, but, but we also know that, that, that life is hard for 
Prasters kids anyway, so we don't want them to be the kind of the nerdy kids that in every sentence you have to say the word Jesus or something. And so we're always trying to find where's the right balance there, right? And uh, but but we really don't want our children to be too distracted. And and sometimes I think we we begin to think that perhaps that's a new phenomena, being being distracted uh, about Easter and the meaning of the resurrected Savior and the grace and reconciliation of Jesus Christ. Uh, We sometimes think, well, that just has come about because of the commercialization of things, and, and that's why there's all these distractions. And I probably would have bought into that argument until earlier this week when I started reading the story as John tells it, and I began to realize that there's... Actually, from the very first Easter Sunday, there have been distractions from the risen Savior. There have been things that have kept people from understanding the risen Savior, from seeing the risen Savior. Let's think about what we got going on here. It's Sunday morning. Jesus has been raised from the dead already. The world has changed. The old has become new. The hopeless have been given hope. Life has come out of death. This is a big deal. The world has changed. And there's a woman named Mary Magdalene. And when she is walking to the tomb, the only thing that she is looking for is a dead body. And so she goes, and this, of course, Mary's no recent convert, it doesn't seem. She's probably heard Jesus talk about several times about how he would be died, how he would be raised again from life. And yet all she can think about in this particular moment is her own pain and her own confusion and her own anger and her own questions, her pain. She's stuck in the past That's all she can look for. And so she goes, and so she she goes to the disciples, and she says to the disciples, Jesus' body has been stolen, taken away. She goes to the angels, and she says, Jesus is not here. I can't find him. He's gone. She goes to Jesus, and she says, somebody has moved Jesus. Do you get the humor in that particular line that that Mary tells the living and raised Jesus that the dead Jesus has been moved. And if the living Jesus wouldn't mind, could you please tell me where you placed the dead Jesus? She is so caught up in her pain and in her agony and in her hurt and in her questions and in her confusion that she cannot see the risen Savior who is right in front of her face. Not until he says, finally, Mary, do the blinders fall away. She is distracted by her own pain. And I wonder how many of us are in that place even today. We talked about this with Gethsemane when we talked about that a couple weeks ago. The importance of our being able to go and to be with Jesus in the midst of his pain because it gives us permission to ask questions to God, to be hurt, to even be angry at God at times. But I think in 
And being in Gethsemane, what that does is gives us freedom then to also be with Jesus when he is resurrected, when it is full of hope and reconciliation and peace and grace. And one of the things that we have to be mindful of when we are in the midst of our own pain and questions and confusion is asking whether or not we are so deep and dark in that darkness that we are unaware of the hope and light that could very well be right in front of our faces in the risen Savior. Or are we being distracted? Of course, I can't talk about that without thinking of the reality that that's not just individuals who wrestle with that. It's churches as a whole as well. That when churches are going through difficult times of pain or agony or hurt or confusion or questions that haven't been answered and may never be answered, it is very easy for them to be focusing on things other than the risen Savior. Am I right, ZPC? And so one of the things that we do is we don't just move on from that or act like that's never been there, but we also know that the only way forward is to be able to focus on the risen Savior and not to be distracted by the hurt or the pain that we may have gone through. I've been thinking about that this weekend, kind of thinking about some of the things that I have seen, even in this past year. I oftentimes look at things from Easter to Easter, um, since I'm a pastor and just kind of lame like that. And so that's kind of what I do. And I was thinking about that, that fact and seeing some of that come up at GPC, seeing, seeing again this focus, as we talked about before, about the Jeremiah house, about, about saying, you know what, where's the risen Savior away from us? And where's the risen Savior alive and at work and is looking for hope and peace and reconciliation and, and, and others? And how might we invest in something like the Jeremiah house where we can love and care for them and they can care, love and care for us and show us the risen Savior. Or, or even thinking about, not, not even just as a group, but individually, right? If you were here a couple months ago, we talked about one of our covenant children who was sitting at, a, at, at her cafeteria table with her friends and she was comfortable and she had been kind of given a command or a challenge to, to get outside of yourself, to perhaps follow the risky Savior because he's been raised again and to go and to do whatever it is that that risen Savior tells you to do. And so she got up from her comfort of her cafeteria friends and she she went over to the one student who was by herself at her own cafeteria table. That's somebody who says the focus is not on me or in something else. It is on the risen Savior. Or a team that we have that, that came up a few months ago from one of our kind of outgoing elders. He said, let's come up with a group that can talk to all of our different ministry teams and begin to say, what does the future look like for you? What is the risen Savior calling you to do in the years ahead? That the time to look to the past is over. The time to focus on the risen Savior is now. And how can we move forward? And that, to me, is something to be excited about, especially because it didn't come from me. It came from God's Easter people. A people who said, we are tired of being distracted. We want to be about the risen Savior. So yes, Easter bunnies can be distracting, but so can our own confusion and anger and pain. But not just that. 
look at the part of the story here, how John describes the two disciples after Mary has told them that the body is gone. Now, let me remind you, Jesus has been raised from the dead. John knows that. He knows what's coming. This is not something he's writing as he's going. He knows what's coming. He knows what he's going to write. John knows that Jesus has been raised from the dead, that the world has changed, that everything that is old has become new again. John knows all of this. And as he begins to tell this story, what does he focus on? He focused on how one of the disciples is faster than the other one. Did you hear that? It's the first ever recorded play-by-play announcement. I mean, this is something you see on ESPN, not in the Gospels. Who cares? What a bizarre thing to tell us. Right? And, and people have come up with these great theories, right? Because they have nothing else to do. So they come up with reasons about why this is. Well, it's, it's a sign that, you know, uh, that perhaps that Peter was the elder statesman. And so he was slower than the other disciple. Or, or many would suggest, of course, that the other disciple is actually John. And, and that what John is just trying to slyly tell you is that he's faster than Peter. Right? Others would say, well, this is just something that was kind of written. John wrote this because he saw that there were rivalry between churches that Peter had started and that he had started. And he was subtly trying to tell people that his churches were a little bit better than P- Peter's churches. We, we have no idea. All we know is some 2,000 years later, when we look at this story, it, it, it seems bizarre. And the reason it seems bizarre to include it is because it pales in comparison to the importance of the actual story, which is that Jesus has been raised from the dead. It is a distracting part of the story. Which, of course, got me thinking, well, I wonder how many times, not that we would ever do this, but how many times are we distracted by what other disciples, a.k.a. other churches, are doing so that we get our own eyes off of the risen Savior? Wow, their sanctuary seems to be filling up pretty quickly. Wow, those buildings that they're building over there, they're going pretty fast. That playground's pretty nice. Or we get caught up in how other disciples are following Jesus, how other churches are following Jesus. We either really like it or we don't like it, and we begin to focus on how they're following Jesus. All the while, the risen Savior is going, hello, I'm right here. I would love to do something in the midst of you if you would simply pay attention to me and not to whatever all the other churches are doing. And sometimes I wonder if in 200 years or 2,000 years from now, when people are reading about what, let's say, we at DPC Church are doing or others, if they won't be wondering what we're wondering about, John, is why in the world were they focused on which church was doing what better when they should have been focusing on the risen Savior who's right there in their midst? I said it fast because I'm faster than some other disciples. We get distracted by looking at other disciples when the risen Savior is sitting there saying, why aren't you looking at me? We get distracted by our own feelings and emotions and confusion and anger. We get distracted by the Easter bunny. But perhaps surprisingly enough, it seems to me, what we may get most distracted by is actually Easter itself. 
Mary is sitting there, and it seems that perhaps she has grabbed a hold of Jesus. And Jesus says to her, don't hold on to me, Mary. Because I've got to go. Don't cling to me, Mary. I, I have to be ascended, and I want you to go and tell my brothers what's, what has happened. And it seems, quite frankly, a bit rude of Jesus, if we're honest. And so we sit there and we wonder, what exactly is it that Jesus is telling Mary? And it seems to me that perhaps one of the things that Jesus is trying to tell Mary is that Jesus, or he's telling Mary, Mary, this is not the end. This is the beginning for you and for me. And the Easter story is never complete until you have gone out and begun to share this experience with others. One commentator says that this personal encounter with, G- with Jesus is not supposed to be a private event, but culminates in her then being given a mission to go out and to share about what she has seen and experienced. In other words, Do not so focus on this one event, as amazing as it is, that you then forget that a part of the event is for you to go and share that with others. And if all you're doing is focusing on your own private experience or on what happens at this one moment, let's just say this moment right now, then you have missed the Easter boat and you have allowed this to become a distraction from the full meaning of Easter. And you don't have to have been coming here very long to know that I have concerns about how we as Christians have made this event what it means to be a Christ follower. Whether it is Easter Sunday or whether it is all the other Sundays that in the church world we call other resurrection Sundays. How easily we make these the event and we forget about the fact that a part of what it means to be a Christ follower and following the risen Savior is to go wherever it is that he has told us to go, which is throughout the world. And that is yet again why, as I've said many times, but I keep saying it because that's what they tell you to do when you're teaching is keep saying it until people are so tired of hearing it that they will finally understand it. That is why we are doing home groups. That's why we're saying we're not just going to, it's not just about what happens here, but it's about what happens throughout the week in other people's homes and away from 4775 West 116th Street. It's why I was so excited when I got an email a couple months or so ago from a home group that said, you know what, we've come up with a list of different places and different things that we can do on mission as an Easter people to go out and to spread the good news. It's it's why this week I was incredibly excited when on two different conversations someone said, unsolicited to me, we love the fact that we have these international missions and that we do things at Shepherd, but we also want to know what does it mean for us to figure out how to love Jesus in our neighborhoods and how to share the gospel in our neighborhoods. What does that look like? Those are Easter questions. Those are Easter ideas from an Easter people that say what we do here in this moment, it is beautiful, but it is a distraction if it is an end in itself. And if it doesn't propel us outward. As I was thinking about this Easter sermon earlier this week, one of the thoughts I had was that not that I would be going in this direction. Because typically when it comes to Easter, you know what you're supposed to do. You know you may have people here who who don't usually come, and so you're supposed to tell them about the Easter story. And so I want you to know 
That if you don't know about the Easter story and about the risen Lord, I want you to know that Jesus has called you by name. And that he loves you. And no matter the confusion or questions or where you are in your life, that he loves you as you are and he is calling you to him. But as I was also thinking about this Easter question, I thought to myself, you know, what might be better than having a thousand people come in here and hear the Easter message from one person might be to have a thousand people from here go out and share that Easter message. And it seems to me that that can happen if we aren't distracted. And so the Easter question for all of you this week and in this next year to come is this. For whom are you looking? The same question that Jesus asked Mary. Who are you looking for? Are you looking for the dead among the living? Are you looking only inward at your own pain and hurt? Or are you believing that Jesus has been raised from the dead and that there is always hope? Are you looking for Jesus or are you simply looking at what other churches are doing and how they may be doing things better than we're doing or or in the ways that you like a little bit more? Or are you asking where Jesus is at work here or out in your own neighborhood and how you can join him? Are you looking for Jesus wherever you work, live, and play? Or are you simply looking for the next great religious experience that you might get in here? For whom are you looking Because I am here to tell you this morning that Jesus has been raised from the dead. For those whose eyes are not distracted from that. And they will be able to experience him not just this morning. But each and every day. Wherever it is that you may go. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do not be distracted. But know this, he is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen. risen. Don't be distracted. He is alive in our midst. Amen? Amen. Amen.